Let's take our Bibles and we'll continue in Ecclesiastes tonight. Well, this was supposed to be one message. This is now part three of this message, Proverbs of Wisdom and Folly. We've been looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. And Solomon wrote these Proverbs, again, remember using a Hebrew poetical style, and shows us several things, and I, I believe they fall into categories. Verses 1 through 4 was a caution to the wise. Verses 5 through 7 was a caution, cautioning rulers. Verses 8 through 10 were Proverbs that caution our deeds. And then 11 through 14 were Proverbs that caution our words. And then verse 15, caution, cautions our action. And so... I do believe we made it through the first one the first week, the caution to the wise, verses 1 through 4. And then last week we got through points 2 and 3. We saw Proverbs that caution rulers and Proverbs that caution our deeds. We have two to finish, caution of our words and caution of our actions. But since we have a little bit of time, let's go back and review. So the first four... Were the first four verses without looking in your notes first to see if anybody can do it without looking in your notes, okay? Because I know you can do it by looking in your notes, okay? Anybody give me what verse one was about? A little folly can destroy the reputation of a wise. Yes. Little things cause big problems. Another way of putting it. Number two, in verse two, a wise man does what's right. All right, now you can use your notes because I want to make it look like we know what we're talking about here. So number three, in verse three, we talked about the fool does what? Right, he declares he's his folly to everyone. Number four was to humble yourselves to rollers. And then we went to caution to rollers in verses five through seven and it talked about two errors made by leaders. Anybody remember what the two errors are made by leaders? That's one I'm giving honor to fools over the rich or over and and over the those rich in wisdom. And then the second one, nobility being treated as servants and common servants treated as nobility. Kind of goes along with the first, but it is slightly different. All right, very good. Then we talked about the caution of our deeds, verses eight through ten. Verse eight reminded us of what? Number nine, or verse nine, it was about removing landmarks, right? But the idea, the whole idea of the thing was more about men can be hurt by lack of caution, which would apply to removing landmarks because you'd be cautious, understand why they put it there before you take it away, right? Very good. And then verse 10. Remember we talked about chopping a tree with a blunt axe? Work smarter, not harder. Very good. All right. Verses 11 through 14. Let's ask the Lord for his guidance. Father, I pray you guide us as we continue this study of these verses tonight. And Lord, again, may we be reminded of these cautions that you've given us in your word. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. So this next section is caution in our word. So let's go to verse 11. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment. And a babbler is no better. What is this talking about? All right. 
Yes, the fool's mouth is engaged long before the brain is, and they will, um, <clears throat> without thinking, they'll act or speak, and what does that typically end up doing? Causing hurt for others, does it not? If we speak before our brain is engaged, if we don't stop and think, is what I'm about ready to say hurtful? It may be truth, but it's the way it needs to be said. Is it going to injure somebody? Is it necessary to be said? Is it kind? Ask yourself these questions. You can use T-H-I-N-K. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it injurious? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And I even just spelled it properly that time, unlike I've been able to do a Baptist lately. But the serpent without a charmer. The serpent's going to bite, right? You know, now I understand some people are all about snakes. And I understand God did create them for a purpose. And I do understand that they will eat the rodents and everything else. But I still got a philosophy. The only good snake is a dead snake. Because when somebody says, you know, when I tell somebody I saw a snake, well, what kind was it? Was it a good snake or a bad snake? It was. It's now a dead snake. So it's good. It's okay now. Well, did you find out if it was poisonous or not? Did you look and see if it has the little viper? Do you think I'm going to stick my head in his face and see what kind of... <laughs> a soul without the Holy Spirit guiding them says and does some very foolish things. Do they not? So the one who refuses wisdom, surely a serpent will bite without enchantment and a babbler is no better. Words said by a fool can hurt like the poison of a snake. Psalm 58, verses 4 and 5. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like a deaf adder that stoppeth her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. We need to be careful. A babbler, one who just picks up stuff and just repeats it and says it. By the way, this is how many people talk today. You listen to many people, and you ask them about a specific thing, they're just going to regurgitate what they've heard about it, and they don't even really have any true thought into it. You know what I'm saying? So, one who does not think before acting or speaking will hurt others. Number two, verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. So we need to be careful of our words. Our speech is to be gracious speech. It is to be used for the edifying of others. Now, sometimes we get confused what that means. It doesn't mean there's not a time for correction, but even in correction, it needs to be done correctly. What do I mean? We have the opportunity here at the church to, my wife and I are with the uh, Eastern Carolina Mediation and basically it's for young people who get in trouble, who have to do community service, we have here as a work center where they can do their community service. Some of these young people, I understand we are all responsible for our own actions, but I'm going to be honest with you. Some of these young people, when, when we kind of get a glimpse into their home, it's like, no wonder these kids are the way they are. I mean... Parents who call their kids stupid and dumb and, you know, and all these things, then wonder why they act like it. People are not careful with their words. People don't think of what they're saying 
to somebody about somebody before they say it. Let me give you a reminder. When somebody wants to gossip about somebody else and they want to talk about them behind their back, they're doing the same thing to you when you're not around. So don't be surprised when they turn the favor on you. But is it not better to build up others? You know, it's a trap that we all can fall into quite easily because it's easy to see the faults of others. So we've got to train our mind to look not at the faults of others. We need to see our own fault, first of all. But then see the positives, if you will, in others. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't correct when necessary. Again, I already said that. But there is, there, there's a, a looking at what are they good at? What can I praise them for? How can I help build their confidence? Now, if parents, instead of tearing down their children acting like they're a bother, acting like, you know, I don't have time for them, and, you know, just throw them in front of some screen, let them watch whatever they want to watch, or let them play whatever games they want to play because they're a bother. And parents who even say that in front of their kids. What if the parents rather were investing into their children and then pointing out the, the points in which they're very, they excel at? Like some kids are very good at English. Some excel in mathematics. Some excel in science. What if the parents were to encourage that? What do you think, what kind of society could we have? Spouses to one another, especially men to their wives. You do realize, men, we have a responsibility to our wife as the weaker vessel, not a lesser vessel, but, okay, it's obvious in the physical realm that women are weaker to men, Right? I mean, this is why the whole issue now of men playing women's sports, because Ralph does not belong on the girls' team. And he's really got an unfair advantage because God designed men's bodies different than women's bodies. I know I'm giving you all this stuff you never knew before, right? Apparently our world doesn't know this stuff. But the women tend to be more emotional. That's the way God designed them. But men, do you realize if we would help our wives to grow, help them spiritually, help them to mature in the Lord, and we would listen to them, sometimes when, when, when directed properly by the Holy Spirit, God having created them more an emotional being, and we being very logical beings for the most part, okay, when we work together, it balances each other out to have a more balanced approach to things. Because life is not like some of the world lives today, all about my feelings and everything feeling, 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 feeling. Nor is everything so black and white that I can't be, not black, okay, as far as sin, it is black and white. We understand that. But it's so rigid to where, you know, there is no flexibility, okay? You see what I'm saying? Okay, for instance, <clears throat> in the Navy, there's a place for everything and everything in its place. And you better put it back when you're done with it. Well, when Susan and I got married... I had an unreasonable expectation that the house would be 100% perfect all the time. Okay, everybody had kids here? Most of you had kids? Doesn't happen. So, there is a balance, okay? And I understand this isn't necessarily emotions, but I'm just trying to give you an illustration here, okay? So, does everything belong back where, where it's supposed to go? Yes. But is it is it going to happen all the time? No. But... 
should that be an excuse to let the house be a train wreck? No. There's a balance. And so, by the way, because everybody seems to do this, if I drop in on your house, don't feel you have to apologize for living there. Okay, people are like, I'm sorry, the house is a mess. Really? Because I expected you live here and that, you know, it's not perfect all the time. Especially if I come this time of year, it's tax season, right? You got a thousand things laying out everywhere trying to figure out your taxes. I don't know if you do them like I do, but you got spread out everywhere. The more you spread out, the more it looks like you know what you're doing. Colossians 4, 6, But let your speech be always grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. You know, the greatest example is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke 4.22 says, And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? But the verse also tells us that a fool is swallowed up in his own words. Proverbs 10.14, Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of foolishness is near destruction. Proverbs 10.32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. They speak foolishness. So the words of the wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of the fool swallow him up, swallow up himself. Because nobody wants to be around the one who is either always gossiping or always complaining or always has to be better than everybody else. We talked about that before, right? The guy, no matter what you've done in life, they've done it better. Nobody wants to be around them. Especially when we all know that they have no clue what they're talking about. You know, you ever had some people talking, and, and i got to be careful because I'm finding, and maybe, maybe it's an age thing because older people seem to do this more often, if somebody's talking and you totally have them tuned out, you know that their mouth is running, but you don't hear a word they're saying. Description of the fool's speech. Verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. He starts with foolishness and ends in madness. Not a good direction to go. Okay, I'm sure we've all had conversations that, you know, it started out right and proper, and then all of a sudden something's said, and it kind of gets a little funny, and then next thing you know, it starts to degrade, and it's and not necessarily in a bad way, but the conversation's like, you know what, this isn't going where it was supposed to go, you know, let's just stop right here. I don't even remember the entire context of it, but somehow, you know how little boys are, right? So this was years ago. Josh and Shan were in the back seat, and being a little boy, he was talking about boogers for some reason or something, and and I was like, all right, enough of the boogers. And then the light turned green, and I didn't notice that somebody says, it's green. And we still laugh about that today. But it becomes mischievous. Or it says, uh, his talk is mischievous madness. Mischievous has the idea of dis distress or disagreeable. Foolish speech is often offensive to others and destructive to himself. So the beginning of his words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. He goes from bad to worse. This sounds like many speeches I have heard. It started nowhere, and it got worse. <laughs> You've all heard them. A fool also is full of words, and a man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? The fool is full of words, but says nothing. 
We've talked about the people who could talk a half hour and say nothing. Years ago, we went to a church, and we were on vacation, but we kind of did a staycation. So we went down to Ken's cottage on the river. He let us stay there for a week. And yet, I, I don't know why I decided, I guess because I feel that, you know, when I'm away, I want to be away. Okay, so it was nothing against being here, but I didn't want to come here on Sunday, if that makes any sense. So we were going to visit another church, and I couldn't find it, because I really actually never been to it before, so I was really wanting to get to visit the preacher and everything else. And so we left in plenty of time, and I searched for it, couldn't find it, and I knew church time was getting ready to start, so we went to this other church. And here's what I remember the message. Tabasco sauce was invented during the Civil War. That's like the only thing I ever got out of the whole message. I even started writing notes to my wife. I said, when does the preaching start? And I passed it to her, and she laughed. I was like, has this guy said anything, any scripture whatsoever yet? And I started passing them to her because I was so distraught with, what in the world does Tabasco sauce have to do with anything spiritual? And I, there was no application. I'm telling you. It was Tabasco sauce. It was created during the Civil War. I think that's all he said. He said a lot of words. He spoke a typical message. So what, 35, 40 minutes, 45 minutes? I don't know. I actually think he went a little long. He might even go on 50 minutes. And the only thing, anybody, because when I asked him when we got in the car, I said, look, I am not about having Rose Preacher but he didn't preach, so I'm going to ask a question, okay? What did you get out of it? And everybody said, Tabasco sauce? <laughs> like, okay, I wasn't the only one. <laughs> That's sad. Now, do I expect you to memorize every message I've ever preached? Well, that would be an unreasonable expectation because I haven't memorized them all, okay? And, But do I hope that you walk out of here more often than not having some substance that was said? If not, why are you here? Why am I here? I mean that. But a fool, if he does not know the past, how can he know anything about the future? And what I mean by that, Psalm 27, verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You know, we say it this way often. If you don't study the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Well, the fool is, he doesn't study the past. He don't care about history. But yet he thinks he knows how tomorrow should be. Right? I mean, you know, socialism's been tried, but yet all these young people who are being taught by their humanistic professors are coming out of college saying, we need socialism in America. Well, buddy, how about you go home and you study a little history Here's some names you might want to look up and see how it worked out for their countries. Proverbs 5, Solomon writes, My son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. The wise man in the room doesn't always have to speak, but the fool does. I sometimes try to remember that sitting on the dais over in the chambers of Havelock, of, okay, this fool always has to speak. Because sometimes I feel like 
what's going on is driving me absolutely insane, but I want to try to make sure that what I say is worth saying. Which brings us to the last proverb in verse 15. And we're going to cover this tonight because there's no way we're coming back to this for just one verse, okay? <clears throat> Caution of our actions. The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. A fool is a burden because he cannot follow simple instructions. Okay, I'll use some of our workers we've had here before. One thing I have learned after having several young people doing their community service here is do not ask them to wash windows. They will be horrible. They will put four gallons of cleaner on it and then not dry it off, and it'll be all streaky and nasty and everything else. I've also learned that many of them give them one step at a time. Initially, I used to say, okay, let's go in the auditorium here. Now, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go ahead and dust the auditorium. I need you to vacuum it, and I need you to, you know, and I give them all the things they need to do in this room, right? And then... Two minutes later, they're standing there. I'm like, yes, I'm done. You're done? Yeah, I, uh, I wiped that one pew you showed me. Okay, what about the other 20 pews in the room? Oh, you wanted them all done? All of them. Okay. And then when you're done, all those, you come back to me and I'll give you the next step. Okay, and then I, and then it's, and then I had to realize. So what I want is every inch of the carpet vacuum. All of it? I'm not trying to pick, but some of them really. you got to be that simplistic with them. They can't follow simple instructions. At least what I thought was simple instructions. They do sloppy work. Actually, the two worst, I call them volunteers, but they're really not volunteers. They're voluntold to be here. Doing their community service was actually two Marines at one time. And I would rather have the young people over the adults. Because the adults are even worse. So I used to say, okay, we'll be a work center for the adults. I've cut that off because I had two Marines here and I sent them out to the cemetery and I said, see all these headstones? I said, they're covered over grass. So what I need you to do is trim all the grass back off of the headstones. And if dirt's got on it, push the dirt off and make it so you can see the headstones. Not that hard. It's some tedious work. I didn't want to do it. You didn't want to do it. So I figured they're here to do it. They sat out there. I watched them on the cameras. They sat there. Then they come back in, oh, it's hot out there. Yeah, well, there needs to be some work done. Long story short, they had done all but two hours, and I'll put that in quotes because they really didn't even do that. And then the one guy comes up to me and goes, hey, man, how about you just sign off? We did the rest of the hours, and we'll call it a day. And I went like this. I'm like, so we're in a church. I'm a pastor, and you're asking me to lie? Oh, I didn't mean it like that, man. I'm like, I'll tell you what we're going to do. You're going to take this, and you're going to walk out that door, and you're going to go find somewhere else to finish your community service. And I'm going to call the court, and I'm going to tell them what you just asked me to do. Well, it's no fear, man. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know what? That is foolishness. That is the actions of a fool. I tell you these not to entertain. I tell you these because 
This is how fools act and what they do and what they say. I was a little bit nicer than that. Okay, maybe I wasn't that harsh with him, but I felt like just, mm. you ever feel that way with some people? <laughs> but I basically did send them without their hours complete. And then he goes, well, I'm supposed to get out of the Marine Corps here soon. I said, that's not my problem. Well, I can't get out until I get this community service done. I said, again, not my problem. I said, you asked me to lie. I'm not lying for you. And I'm not signing it off. Anyhow. The fool is a burden to those who have to deal with them because they can't follow simple instructions. They do sloppy work. They act like they're incapable of doing anything. They can't figure out simple things, simple tasks. They can't do it. Why? We're not talking ones who are mentally incapacitated, okay? We're talking people who have the ability but choose not to because they'd rather act foolish. The labor of the foolish wearies every one of them because he knoweth not how to go to the city. Can I say this? I understand when you're a good worker, it is frustrating when the boss keeps coming back to you to get all the tasks done. But can I remind you that your boss is dealing with these type people. Now, I understand that sometimes they just need to find a way to get rid of them. But many of you work for the federal government. You know how hard it is to get rid of anybody in the federal government. Just going to call it what it is, okay? They're dealing with these type of people that every time they ask them to do something, they might as well just do it themselves because they're not going to do it right anyhow. So they come to you, and I understand the frustration of that. It's like, wow, my reward for doing a good job is to get more work, but why don't we just try to step back from that a moment and take it as a praise from your boss that says, I trust you to get it done. Now, it doesn't make it any easier when you're doing it. I get it, but it is a trust factor. Do they trust you to come to you and say, listen, I need to get this done, so could you do it for me? So with that, Maybe it'll make it a little easier for you. But, well, you know what that means? It means you're practicing wisdom, not foolishness, and your boss recognizes it. So take it as a compliment. So several uh, uh, cautions that were given to us in this passage. And let us heed the caution to the wise, the caution to rulers, the caution in our deeds, cautions regarding our speech, and the caution regarding our action. Let us follow wisdom and not folly, especially the folly we see in the world today. Christian, let's also heed this, though. You and I do have a wisdom the world does not have because you and I have the Word of God. You and I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But let's remember from where the wisdom comes so that we don't turn out to be like Solomon himself who wrote this, the wisest man but yet did some of the most foolish things because he allowed pride to get in the way. Let's remain humble before God, realizing any wisdom we have comes from him. And so anytime we're able to do something that actually turns out right, you know, because we were able to do it wisely, whether speaking correctly in our actions or in a decision being made or whatever, if it comes out right, give the glory to whom it belongs and thank God for the wisdom He gave you to be able to do so. Maybe it'd be good once in a while to go back to this passage and rehearse 
these cautions regarding wisdom and folly. Let's bow for a word of prayer.